0: From the Medical Republic I'm Wendy John, this is The Tea Room. When your patient needs a hip replacement, there may be one conversation that you can have that you wouldn't normally. Are they open to donating their femoral head? Or if a patient's having a baby, would they consider donating the lining from their placenta? Tissue donation from living donors is taking off in Australia. Today in the tea room, we're having a cuppa with Debbie Stracy, Executive Director of the Australian Tissue Donation Network. Debbie has formerly been a clinical nurse specialist in haematology, oncology and ICU. Welcome to the tea room, Debbie Stracy. Tell us a bit about tissue donation from living donors. Why are you so passionate about this field? Because it does
1: so much good for so many people, and it's such a useful thing for living donors having surgery that they were always going to have to have to be able to help other people as a part of that means that they actually now, without much effort on their part, are able to help a whole array of people and using human tissue for surgical procedures such as spinal surgery dental implants, replacement for bone for cancer or, or void filling. It's been seen as the gold standard and certainly the use of human tissue has increased over the last few years as surgeons are finding that it works so much better and is, uh, is so much easier
0: for the patient to recover from. So normally when we think about donation of tissue it's normally when someone has passed away whereas this seems like a much easier option.
1: So when people think of donation, generally, it's all about organ and lungs and and, uh, the the major organs, which are vitally important, but not the end of the story.
0: But you can't do without them and still live. You you can uh, hand
1: over your femoral head when you're having hip replacement surgery that was only going to go in the bin if it wasn't for, uh, for the donation. and uh, So we're keeping landfill a bit emptier too. That's right, and it's medical waste, um, which is very expensive to dip- dispose of, so it's exactly. probably uh, helpful for the hospitals as well. So tell us, tell us about the lab. Paint us a picture. What goes on? So in the lab, um, once somebody has agreed to donate their femoral head, we um, here at Australian Tissue Donation Network, we give them a call because we'll get their consent form And we'll go through a list of eligibility questions and make sure that they meet all the guidelines. It's very, very heavily monitored. And we have a lot of guidelines and jurisdictional rules that we have to obey, uh, TGA Mm. guidelines, as well as Mm -hmm. the Human Tissue Act, Coroners Act, everything like that. And we have to have, you know, all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. And then once we've done that, we alert the hospital, let them know that there is a donation and um, that the person has consented. They'll do the retrieval as part of the surgical procedure. So apart from taking some bloods at the beginning, it doesn't add a lot of time to the surgery. If anything, it would be two seconds. The nurses, instead of putting the femoral head into the waist, they will package it up and um, will organise to go and pick that up. Once it comes to the lab, the lab is uh, is has got minus 80 freezers in it. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, which are very gold. and um, <laughs> don't get stuck in one. No, don't lick it, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, and so they get uh, the femoral heads themselves get put into quarantine. We take some chips from the bone, and we've swapped the bone, and we've also taken some bloods from the um, the donor to ensure that all the screening is met, and that's your usual HIV, Hep B, Hep C, um, those kind of uh, serology screening. Once all the results come back, the medical director signs off and um, ensures that everything is safe and then it goes to production. And it's a very controlled environment and the bone goes under uh, several lavage processes to clean it, so it just gets cleaned. And every time it goes through this process, it uh, bits of the liquid that, you know, the water that is removed from that process is sent off to the lab as well to ensure that there's no, the bio-burdens on the bone are reducing. It gets um, crushed up and made into a product called Crunch, which, um, well, and that is... That sounds, that <laughs> sounds, that's payer really. Yeah. Well, and it, it's morselized bone and it can be morselized into different sizes depending on the end use of the allograft. Um, so certainly if it's for dental, then it will be a much finer um, morselisation process than if it's for, say, orthopaedic. And the great thing is it will actually, once implanted, it will actually encourage bone to grow because it will alert the body that there's unhealed bone there and the body will send the right cells. And within uh, 6 to 12 months, that bone will be the patient's own again. So it means wow. that if they do have to have a revision, because previously, obviously, um, different synthetic material had been used, and uh, that would set hard like cement. And so if they had to have a revision, it was very difficult for the surgeons to be able to get back into that space. Or if there was an infection or something like that, it, it was uh, quite a, a difficult situation. And this mm. is why now human bone is seen to be you know, the gold standard, because... Uh, It certainly allows for better healing. And once upon a time, they did recognize that uh, human bone was the gold standard. However, they would take it from the patient in surgery. So that meant longer surgery times. The patient was under anesthetic for twice as long. The poor patient now had two sites that had longer a, recovery. So it was a longer recovery. And as a nurse, I can tell you, it's always going to be the donor site that will get the infection. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. And, um, and it was always, um, you know, problematic. What is allograft?
0: So allograft is donated human tissue that has been ground down into a certain Well, kind of any, any donated
1: human tissue. So it might not be ground down. It might be, could be a cornea, could be skin, could be any donated tissue. Placenta. So, placenta, so we also have a living, um, obviously living uh, placental donation program. And for that, we're wanting the uh, innermost lining of the placenta, which is called the amnion. And it's a very thin, sort of looks like cling wrap, I guess, membrane that protects the fluid and the baby when it's uh, in situ. And once it's removed, it makes a fabulous dressing and it's used a lot for ocular treatments and they make little patches that uh, can repair corneas. And it's fabulous for um, venous leg ulcers, diabetic ulcers and things like that. So it's used worldwide for dressings. It's also used interoperatively in Europe, um, I was fortunate enough to go to a conference several years ago and the uses for it within surgical procedures such as wrapping tendons and um, anastomosis when you're having bowel surgery and you've got to sort of basically sew the bowel back together because you've cut a piece out. Being able to wrap it around the anastomosis means that it reduces the risk of adhesions which is where extra skin grows like in endometriosis where it sticks to then other organs and mm. um, and linings.
0: Do you have a risk of the body rejecting the allograft? No, it's not like with organs or
1: bone marrow. With bone, it's clean, there's no lipids, there's uh, no blood, there's no um, nothing on it. So it's just bone cells and there's no rejection. So it doesn't have to be typed or anything like that. And the same with skin and the amnion. And That is what makes it so brilliant because it's acellular, so it doesn't have living cells in it because that certainly makes it more universally usable because people can donate regardless of what blood type or anything else they are and people can receive it regardless
0: of what blood type or anything else they are. Mm. So it is is very good. Tissue donation in Australia isn't a new thing, but the demand is growing hugely. Why is that? Because surgeons have realised that it is actually
1: getting them really good results and they're reducing surgical times and one of the, the synthetics that they used to use for a lot of these procedures is no longer available. So obviously they're now using bone instead and realising that's really good and,
0: the, and the, the demand is coming from the surgeons. So give us a quick list of all the tissues that come through the tissue donation network. So you mentioned femoral bone, femoral head. So femoral heads, placental tissue, skin,
1: and musculoskeletal tissue, tendons, ligaments. That's what we concentrate on. The New South Wales Health also does eyes. They're part of the eye bank.
0: Right. So what doctors are involved in the supply chain? Obviously surgeons. Yep. So orthopedic surgeons, obstetricians, and
1: they're the main people who are part of the supply chain. In terms of deceased donors, that is Part of the referral when somebody dies in hospital, the referral will come through to New South Wales Health and they will organise um, a retrieval if the person meets the eligibility criteria. And then in terms of once the allograft has been made, then your spinal surgeons, your craniofacial surgeons, your dental surgeons, really the list is endless.
0: Mm. what's the relevance in all of this for GPs the first
1: port of call for anyone looking at having whether they're newly pregnant or having a sore hip is the GP so it's it's, they're very very relevant because if they understand the programs and they know what's out there they can actually give the patient a heads up that this may be something they're able to do as part of that surgery. So they'll give the referral to the specialist, either the obstetrician or the orthopaedic surgeon.
0: Have you got any stories for us around how Tissue Donation Network has helped someone? We
1: have indeed. We have a, a lovely um, young guy called Jake uh, who had a very flattened nose due to um, he'd broken the bridge of his nose basically from due to a football injury and uh, was having a lot of problems with his sinuses and his breathing and... Um, being able to you know, sleep properly because of his nose. And he's had that fixed through Dr. Lots, and he's had his saddle of his nose fixed with some costal cartilage. And that's enabled him to breathe better, to be able to do sport and, and things like that a bit better. We've also had a young girl who had severe scoliosis and was able to have surgery to fix the scoliosis, which is quite a common problem in young people. And she was able to be straightened up. She was a very keen soccer player. And because she didn't have to have bone taken from herself and was able to use allograft bone for her spinal surgery, she was able to get back to sport very quickly and really enjoyed a good recovery. Is this something that's used a lot in back surgery? Uh, Very often, yes. When they put the metal cages and all the hardware that they put in during spinal surgery... There's lots of little voids that need to be filled, so they fill it with the morselized bone and it allows for that bone to regenerate and create a much more stable environment, a much better scaffold for that hardware to sit and for the bone to to heal.
0: Hmm. that's great. Anything you'd like to say to wrap up?
1: What I would like to say is that we are having our first ever opportunities to have an iron tissue uh, awareness week with Donate Life and uh, we work very closely with Donate Life and if people are keen to know more about donation hop onto their website or our website you can register to donate both organ and tissue on the Donate Life website and uh, it's a very easy process takes less than a minute and we are keen to talk to as many people as we can about tissue donation because the more people that know about it especially through a living program, gives everyone a chance to really understand what it is and how it works before they're actually asked in the biggest moment of grief in their life when they lose somebody. So uh, we feel that the more people that are, are aware of what it is and how it can help, the better our donation figures will be in Australia because they're quite low currently and and that will lead to a really robust donation and transplantation sector in, in our health system.
0: So you've been a nurse for many years in a variety of different areas and yet this seems to spark your joy more than those experiences. Why is that?
1: I think because it's something I can do and achieve that is positive, that will change people's lives. Organ donation, very rightly, is very front of mind because it saves people's lives. But when you can help people play the sport they want to play, especially when they're only 15 and 20, um, when you're able to, to really improve people's lives drastically... It's a really, really good thing to do. And really, for Australians, having a robust donation and transplantation sector means that if the worst thing happens to us, there is hope. And that's what we can offer. Thank you
0: very much, Deb Stracy. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time, Wendy. It's lovely to talk to you. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for taking a break today and joining me in the Tea Room. If you like what you've heard, head on over to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and you can listen to our other episodes and subscribe. Leave us a review while you're there. And if you have any news, tips or just want to chat, you can email me at Wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from The Journalist at The Medical Republic. Visit medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.